0: This morning, I get to continue a series that we've been in that we are calling The Struggle is Real. The Struggle is Real. Um, following Jesus when life is, is hard. And uh, it's not a question of if you are going to go through hurt and heartache and hardship. It's a question of when. It's not a question of if you're going to walk through a season of hurt And heartache and hardship. It's a question of how you are going to walk through that season. Because it's in those seasons that the enemy loves to whisper lies to us. Something must be wrong with you if you're still struggling like this. God must be mad at you if you are going through a difficulty. Your faith must not be strong enough if you are still tempted in this way. You are the only one who knows what it's like to experience something like this this it's not a question of if it's a question of how because in the midst of hardship the enemy is going to whisper you are not supposed to be going through this as a, look around you and look at all these other people in church they don't seem to be going through anything difficult like you might as well just stay home he will tempt you to become discouraged and ultimately to derail you from following after Jesus in the midst of Hardship. And we want to ask the question what does it look like to not just embrace the reality that life is hard, but that We ought to continue to chase after Jesus even in the midst of that. And uh, as we continue that conversation, we want to uh, look a little bit at Jesus himself. We've looked at the story of Paul. We've looked at the story of Elijah. We've looked at the story of Joseph and what that looked like in their lives when things were hard. And they continued to walk after Jesus. The Lord. We want to to look at the life of Jesus um, in Hebrews chapter 4. If you have a copy of the Bible, um, then I would invite you to turn. There, Hebrews chapter 4. And as you do that, let me just give you a little bit of context. Uh, the author to the Hebrews is an unknown individual. We still don't know who wrote the book um, of Hebrews. But uh, he is writing to some Jesus followers, primarily Jews, who are going through an intensely hard season of their lives. On account of the fact that they follow Jesus, life has become so difficult for them. Their family and their friends, they've abandoned, they've rejected them, they've ostracized them, they are mocking them, saying, you all have bought into this Jesus cult and you've abandoned the faith of your forefathers, the real faith. And so you are cultists and they've been ostracized that way. Um, man, the authorities, they've stepped in. And they are saying, you all are a threat to the empire. And so they are being thrown in jail. Their property is being confiscated. Life is just not going very well for them. And for many of them, it's become tempting to feel like maybe it's not worth walking after Jesus. When life is this hard, maybe we should throw in the towel and just... Defect. And it's to that group of people that the author to the Hebrews is writing. And he's telling them, don't you dare quit because things are hard. Do not quit chasing after Jesus because things are difficult. And in order to encourage them to continue to walk after Jesus in the midst of hardship, he paints a picture of Jesus himself for them and it is a beautiful picture and he paints a picture of Jesus not so much as a savior but he paints a picture of Jesus as a priest in fact he paints a picture of Jesus as the high priest in fact he paints a picture of Jesus as the perfect high priest and we want to look at that picture because here's what I want to suggest to you If you get a hold of the picture of Jesus Christ as your perfect high priest in your seasons of struggle and hardship, you are going to find yourself fueled to continue to take steps forward. Of all the things the author of Hebrews could have said to a group of people going through hardship, he says, let me introduce you to Jesus Christ, the perfect high priest. And this picture is simply Beautiful. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 15. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, verses will appear on the screen. Here's what he says to them. For we do not have a, a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just As we are, yet he did not sin. I want to read that one more time. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. This picture ought to make us want to run to the person of Jesus. Particularly when we're going through seasons of struggle and hardship. This picture should make us want to tell every single person we know who is struggling with anything. Run to Jesus. He is the perfect high priest. He's been tempted and tested in every kind of hardship and struggle. And yet he did not let a single one of them. Break him or bully him. Off course. It's so fascinating to me. When the author to the Hebrews. Wants to encourage a struggling group of people. To stay the course. He introduces them to a high priest. Because he wants them to understand. There is someone who gets it. There is someone who Gets it. And come on, if you're going through a difficult season of life, I can think of seasons that have been particularly hard for me. And sometimes my wife will ask me, do you want to talk about it? like, nope. But it would be really good to talk about it, probably. And in my own mind, I'm doing that thing where I'm like, I'll talk to you about it. But then I have to explain all of it because I don't know that you understand exactly. But you're talking to that person. But that person gets it. Right? And then we fight and argue. We don't, we're Christians, but um, (laughs) struggle is not real at our house. Um, But you know it. When you are going through a difficult season, there is something so beautiful about sitting with somebody who you know. You get it. Of all the things the author of the Hebrews could have introduced to this struggling group of saints, this is what he wanted them to know. Jesus... Is your high priest. And he. Gets it. He's experienced every kind of struggle and hardship. That you could possibly experience. He is the perfect high priest. He. Gets it. And man. The way this anonymous author. Communicates that is. Beautiful. Because. It's not just that he gets it. That's not what got me. It's not just that he gets it. He wants them to know when you experience heartache or hurt or hardship. Do you know the first thing Jesus does? He gets it. Yeah, true. But more than that. The first thing Jesus does is. He feels it. He feels it. Ooh, I don't love the way the NIV translates this Greek word into English as empathizes. Empathize. This is a Greek word that's used here. Look at it. We'll put it up on the screen. It's the word sympatheo. Sympatheo. I'm just saying there may be a better English translation for the word sympathio than empathy. Woo, thank you, Jesus. This word, sympathio, means to be touched or moved by feeling. This will change the way you walk through hard seasons. Sympathial, that is too beautiful. When Jesus Christ shows up in your struggle or in your brokenness or in your pain or in your loss or in your grief or in your hardship, whatever it happens to be, He enters in feelings first. Jesus doesn't meet us in our struggle. High priest, perfect high priest, doesn't meet us in our struggle first with advice or analysis. He doesn't start with, I know. I know. I am sovereign and I can see the future and every possible outcome that might result from this hardship that you're going through. And I know that it all works out just fine in the end. He doesn't start with, I know. This is incredible to me. Uh, This is the part, by the way, of my parenting that I think makes me most insensitive and least comforting to my kids. Because when they're going through something that just breaks their heart, I step in as somebody who's lived a few decades longer than they have. And I'm like, listen. You're making such a big deal about something that is nothing. I know this thing is, this thing is not going to end as badly as you think it's going to be fine. I enter in with the I know. And that doesn't tend to be soothing or particularly comforting for them. That's not where Jesus starts with us. And he doesn't even start with I understand. I've been where you are. And man, I remember how hard that was back when I was on earth. This word means when we're in the heart of struggle, Jesus shows up and he doesn't say something to us. First, he feels something with us. Sympathio. That's my priest. Man, for all the cruel theologians who have taught me over the years, it's not about your feelings. It's about the truth. It's about the facts. They need to be reintroduced to the perfect high priest. That God was so committed to identify with us in our pain and in our struggle and in our hardship. That he entered into our world and experienced every brand of it. So he could start with, I feel that. I feel that. And then I just started to think about this and then it tripped me up some. Some more, not the way my daughter was saying for me not to, in a different, in a good way. Um, The author to the Hebrews is writing in the present tense. Jesus sympathizes with us in our struggle and in the present tense. I'm like, wait a minute. You were telling me that when my heart breaks and when I'm going through hardship, Jesus says, I feel it. And he actually is feeling those things with me from heaven. Isn't heaven the place where there is no hurt or there's no pain and there's no sin and there's no brokenness. And he has chosen from heaven to feel hurt with me. That's unbelievable. Which makes sense of why. The the good theologians would want to translate that word into empathize. Because empathize can be objective. I can imagine myself in your situation. Without necessarily feeling what you're feeling. Otherwise we're putting hurt and broken in heaven. We can't do that. And young man, that is the kind of theology that makes God angry. Oh, so you're fine with anger in heaven, but not heartache or hurt in heaven. Go back to seminary. This is crazy. Jesus is like yes. I still bear my scars. And feel your pain. Perfect. High. Priest. God the son. So committed to identifying with us. In our pain and hardship. That he entered into our world. Experienced every kind of it. First. Hand. So he could mean it and enter in and say, I feel it. I feel you. And in case you have any questions about that, by the way, let's just take a quick tour of Jesus' experiences on earth and see. That no, he can say and mean it as a perfect high priest. I feel you. Let's see. Was he really, though, tested by every imaginable hardship and struggle and thorn? Let's see. Let's start at the beginning. Why not with Christmas, maybe? Um, if you've ever heard the Christmas story and paid attention to it, then you know Y'all, it was a rough start for Jesus. Almost everything surrounding his birth was trauma. It was hardship and struggle. And of all the ways that the king of the universe could enter into this world that he made. He opted for a turbulent and traumatic landing. Remember this? Um, Jesus was the pregnancy that his teen mom didn't ask for. An angel told her, All your plans are about to change. God is giving you a baby. Meaning, Jesus. Was an unplanned pregnancy. Or God planned it. Well in that sense God plans every pregnancy. That would not have been reassuring to Mary. Um. That unplanned pregnancy would spark some relational tension between Mary and her fiancé, Joseph. And uh, you would have some baby daddy suspicions too. I'm just saying in this situation. And then next thing, Mary goes into hiding for months and months. And then when it's finally time, she's nesting and she's getting ready to have the baby at home with her mom and maybe uh, a midwife. A government mandate comes down. Forcing her to take this uh, unwelcome 70-mile trip on a donkey's back. To go to a town that she's never been to before. That is completely unfamiliar to her. And when she gets there with a young fiancé, every hotel and motel and Holiday Inn and Airbnb, like there is no room in any of them. And at this point, Mary's probably beginning her contractions, and everybody sends her away. And so, this teenage girl with an unplanned pregnancy in an unfamiliar place is forced to have the baby in an animal barn, in a feeding trough, without her mom, without a midwife, without an anesthesiologist, without most likely. Joseph, this was a rough start. I mean, God, if you're going to give me a baby I did not ask for, you could at least arrange the amenities. But nope, everything just got more messy and more complicated, it seems. That's how Jesus' life on earth Began And I'm just telling you, if you've ever been in a season where it felt like unplanned and unwanted and unwelcome and you feel like it's strange and unfamiliar and I didn't want to be here and how did this even happen? Jesus steps in and says, I feel that. No, but it's obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. I feel that with you but we didn't even have the finances to deal with this placement but we felt like you were calling us to do it and then when we did it we just seemed to be struggling even more financially and there were more and more obstacles and it just felt messy and we didn't i feel that i feel every bit of that i didn't ask to be caring for my aging parents i, I feel guilty even saying that and yet here we are in this unplanned situation we weren't ready for this and i feel that i don't even know if i can say that out loud and yet i feel that i didn't want to be a step parent but i said i'd do it god has not made it easy I mean, if I'm going to try and do the right thing, God, would you at least take care of making things much more smooth? Because life has just felt turbulent with obstacle after obstacle and unplanned surprise after unplanned surprise. And Jesus enters into that season with feeling. I feel that. Um, and from the moment Jesus is born... He has a target on his back. This crazy king hears that a baby boy has been born and they're calling him the king of the Jews or something like that. Immediate threats, sirens go off. And so this king man issues uh, bounty on Jesus' life. Find this baby and kill this boy. And so dad and mom are forced to go on the run, leaving their country and heading to Egypt. Not getting easier. Look at this, Matthew chapter 2 verse 13. When they had gone, all the people who came to make a fuss over Jesus, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. If we had more time, we would talk about this. I would have a question for the angel. Who are we running from? Herod. Why didn't you just take him out? Why are we running? The struggle is real, y'all. Go to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus spent likely at least two years as a baby. As a refugee. In the land of Egypt that enslaved his people. Years before. I'm just trying to tell you before Jesus could spell struggle, and yes, Jesus had to learn how to spell, his life was marked by hardship. An unplanned baby born in an undesirable place, then a refugee in an unfamiliar country. Which, by the way, if you've ever felt targeted because of something that you couldn't help, Jesus says, I feel that. No, you don't understand, Jesus. I felt targeted because of the color of my skin. Uh, no, I felt targeted you know, because of uh, 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 my gender. I felt targeted and people have ostracized me because of my mental health struggles. Or my parents divorce. People have marked me because of how messy that situation was was so oh, i'm athletically challenged and it's in school that was always something that i felt picked on or targeted because of oh well i learned more by experience and less in the classroom and they called me dumb because of this and it's something i just couldn't help and jesus enters into any space where you feel targeted because of something you couldn't help i feel that i couldn't help being the king of the universe it's what i was If you've ever felt like you had to hide to be safe. You had to hide certain emotions because those weren't safe at home. You had to hide certain wounds because those wouldn't be understood. You had to hide certain scars because those represented the story you just felt you couldn't tell. Tell. Or maybe you've actually had to to hide because of an actual threat to your well-being. The perfect high priest knows. But more than that, he feels it. I'm just asking you. Are the stories you know about Jesus' childhood mostly happy ones? Now, we don't know too much about. about Jesus' childhood. But the things we know. There's one occasion where he's 12 years old. And his parents lose him for like 5 days. Now. Jesus seemed fine. But I'm sure when he saw the look of trauma. In his mom's face. As she kind of low key yells at him. He probably felt a little bit of that. Like the look in Mary's face. Like I lost God for 5 days. Like that will do some things. He 's a high priest i 'm just saying of all of the journeys he could have chosen, he chose a turbulent, difficult one, even in the early years of his life, and that wasn 't an accident that was strategic because he wanted to be able to enter into our hardship and say, "I feel that." Years later. Jesus' public ministry would begin with a bang. Uh, He gets baptized in the Jordan River. And then um, God literally speaks from heaven to him. Look at this. This is Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. It says, and a voice from heaven after he comes up out of the water said, this is my boy. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. It's my boy. I love him. Then it jumps to um, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter, Satan, came to him and said, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That is the worst. Oh, man. This. all the Bible. I love you, son. It's my boy. Pleased with him. Love you. Um All right, now let's go into the uh, wilderness for 40 days of brutal starvation and you're going to experience the most intense temptation of your life. What? <laughs> I didn't make this up. This is the sequence. And Paul is like, "Amen." One minute I'm in the third heaven hearing the most glorious inexpressible things, the next moment I'm in the Depth of hardship with this thorn tormenting me. Satan tormenting me. One minute, God is speaking. Next minute, Satan is tormenting me. Paul's like, I get that. This is so fascinating to me. Can you relate? Or maybe it's just me. God, I thought you said you love me. Just yesterday at church. Why does it feel like you hate me today? God, I thought you were pleased with me because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Why does it feel like you're mad at me and you're trying to get me and you're letting all of these difficult things happen to me? I mean, which one is it? I was praising you just yesterday in your presence. I was preaching four hours ago, feeling the spirit moving. How am I being tempted by this right now? Oh man, the Bible. Like I got baptized and everything. How is this still a struggle for me? How is this still a struggle for me? Maybe it's just me. But Jesus as a perfect high priest says, I get that. One minute it's this glorious experience and the next minute your mental health is just kicking your butt. You're like, How? This isn't supposed to happen. Well, oh, Tell Jesus. I love that. So Jesus can enter into those moments. Where it feels like how can God possibly love me. And then and now I'm feeling with this. And then I'm going through that. And then I'm feeling like am I bipolar. Is there something particularly broken with me. Jesus says I feel you. He's a perfect high priest. And then Jesus actually deals with the most intense temptation. Matthew chapter 4 verse 3. Tempter said to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but... On every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He, God, will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands. So that you might not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, well, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Man, After 40 days of not eating, uh, likely not drinking, the devil comes after Jesus' appetite. And he appeals to what Jesus craves most in this moment. Food to, to satisfy his physical hunger. I know you said you would only use your power. According to the will of God, when your father in heaven said, but come on, Jesus, 40 days, you must be starving. You've done so great. You've held out. He'll understand. Just turn these stones into bread. God wouldn't want you to suffer like this. If God doesn't care about your desires enough to take care of them, come on, take a shortcut, Jesus. And feed that craving, temptation. You, you've held out for years. While all your friends did it, you never did. For 15 years, don't you think it's maybe owed to you? I mean, when's the last time you let out a bit of stress? Because it's been a really hard Season. Jesus would get it. And then the devil says to Jesus, make God prove it, right? Makes Jesus question the word of God. If, if God loved you, would he let you starve out here by yourself? I mean, he says he does, but would he, I, I don't know, make him prove it. Jump. I mean, can you trust what God really says? He, he's going after the things that matter the most to Jesus. And then he finally appeals to what Jesus wants most in the world. He says, all right, forget what you want now. Forget this craving, this this hunger that you're experiencing. How about what you want most? If you recognize me as God, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. Essentially, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. I'll give them to you. for the small price of you calling me preeminent calling me God I'm just trying to tell you if there's an area of intense temptation in your life and this is going to be tough for some of us Jesus says I feel that For most of us, in the seasons of temptation, those are the seasons in which we believe he is least pleased with us and he has least to do with us and he is gone. We cannot find Jesus in our seasons of of temptation. And the author to the Hebrews say, oh no, 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 no. He is the perfect high priest. He has been tempted in every way. And when you're experiencing the most intense temptation, he shows up and he leads with, I feel that. No, you don't. You understand it maybe. And you're mad that I'm still struggling with this temptation. But. Most of us get derailed in temptation. Because I think that's one of the places where we abandon Jesus. And we believe he abandons us. And if you show up at church. And you can't talk about that. Like what you're still struggling with. What? Bread. (laughs) You're God and you're tempted by bread. I'm just telling you, whenever you're struggling, temptation, whether it's a shortcut, to take a shortcut to feed your cravings, to get online and binge. I mean, you've held out for so long. When was the last time you just let yourself? And those voices and those inner desires are stirring. Be honest. When I say Jesus feels it. Some of you are like. No you went too far. I don't know where the line is. But I feel like you crossed it. He was tempted. No but. He feels it. You are not alone in your temptation. The great high priest. Tempted to to drink and feel uninhibited or whatever. Or just record a few more hours on your work card. I mean you've worked so faithfully. For so long. Just expense that on the work account. I mean, just lie and and put a caption on your post to make it seem like your life is a little bit more glamorous than it really is. Just paint a fake image of who you are. Whatever the temptation. Jesus says, I I feel it. When you're in moments of, can I even trust what God says? If he didn't heal your child. Can you trust him? Make him prove it. How many people did you pray that he would heal? And how many of them has he actually healed? Can you trust him? Or you better make him prove it. He says nothing can change his love for you. Well, let's hit up that one club and see. Let's test that theory. My point is, for all of us sitting in this room, we're going to be tempted with various things. For some of us, we're going to be plagued in our minds about the things we think about the future and is it really in God's hands. For some of us, it's going to be our impulses and our cravings and we just want to binge on something. And for some of us who live in this world of pride, it's really just about crowning which God is really God. So I don't struggle with that stuff. Those sins, the bad ones. But I'm constantly wrestling through, is it my retirement and making sure that my money is in order? And is it really, really about making sure that my bank account is at a certain level and that? So I don't do bad things, but I overwork because I'm tempted to crown money as God. And it promised that it would give me the world. I'm just saying temptation looks different for all of us, but the point is the same. Whatever way the devil comes to try and derail you, Jesus sits in that space and says, I feel that. No, you don't feel it, Jesus. You know because you're all-knowing sovereign. No, 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 I'm not talking about all-knowing sovereign. I'm talking about entered in and was tempted in every way so I can be the perfect high priest who says, I feel that. Ah, we don't know much about Jesus' home life except basic information like he grew up with multiple brothers and sisters. And also that they thought he was mentally out of his mind. This is Mark chapter 3 verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, like where he was. They went to take charge. <laughs> they went to take charge of Jesus, to apprehend him. Intervention. For they said he is out of his mind. They got together as siblings to stage an intervention to essentially attempt to institutionalize Jesus. Can you imagine that? Uh, And then there was one time he went back to his hometown uh, to share hope and healing. And uh, the people he grew up with uh, in, in Nazareth, they got so angry with him that they physically apprehended Jesus and pushed him out of town to the edge of a cliff to push him off to his death. The people he grew up with just turned on him. I'm just saying, have you ever felt like the people closest to you are the ones hurting you the most and betraying you the most and calling you words that are most wounding? Have you ever been verbally abused by anybody? Have you ever maybe even physically had somebody put their hands on you? And I'm telling you, Jesus enters it and he says, I feel that. I feel it. Your family thinks you're crazy because why would you give up a promotion opportunity so you'd have more time with your family? No, give them more money when you die. Why would you give this up so that you could serve the vulnerable child and so you can volunteer and hang out more with the people from your church? Crazy. We're going to stage an intervention at Thanksgiving and we're going to ask you about your priorities and how you've lost your mind. Some of you spend a lot of time defending your decisions to your family and they're like, I don't know why you would choose to marry somebody outside of the club. Makes no sense why you would choose to go and live there on mission. Why you still live in that place. Makes no sense to me. And you've tried to maybe share the truth with people. And oh man, that has gone south very, very quickly. Pushing you out of their lives. Because how dare you say something like that. To me. And you're like we grew up together. How did this election cycle make us enemies all of a sudden. And Jesus is like I feel that. I feel it. Man. Well but how about financial struggle. Jesus was homeless. I don't know if you knew. Oh, but for me, it's more like how singleness feels like a struggle. He couldn't. I don't mean to be delicate, but Jesus lived as a single man and he died a 33-year-old virgin. Whatever that feels like, he knows. He feels it. And man... If you choose to make Jesus an asexual, a non-sexual being, you just made him a non-human being. So please don't do that. One of the reasons, by the way, that I think the over-sexualized nature of our culture is having such a prevalent effect, and even in the church, is because I think the church has taken Jesus out of sexuality, right? Um, Like he didn't create it. (laughs) like it wasn't his idea from the beginning like it isn't this beautiful thing that's been distorted right and so we completely separate Jesus from that reality and we wonder why it's just anyway um where else could you have chosen to be today where there would be this level of fascinating aka awkward conversation nowhere you're welcome of course he was a sexual being. And if you want to freak out. I can, I can help. If he was tempted in every way. Then. And I'm telling you. If he isn't in any way connected to your sexual temptation. No wonder that's the one that wins the most. Because we've, we've chosen what areas did just etch him out from? It's nothing to do with that. Right? And if you're honest, you've grown up in the church, it's like, no, that, the S word is dirty. It's gross. It's wrong. It's dirty, disgusting. So save it for marriage. Like, oh, oh great. That's fantastic. Um, I'm just trying to tell you, there is no place your struggle can hide from the I feel you of your perfect high priest. Your struggle with unmet longings, not having that romantic companionship. He sits with you and he says, I feel that. In fact, Jesus still feels that because he's still waiting on his bride. With longing. Father, is it time yet? Not time. When is it going to be time? That's the only thing I'm not going to tell you. Is there an app that I can maybe get on. So between now and then. I don't know who your high priest is. He's the perfect one. Jesus. Maybe for you it's your health. I don't know if you ever thought about the fact that Jesus was born. And he lived with. A terminal condition. He lived with a terminal prognosis. From the moment he was born. He knew he wasn't going to live to see the 40s. His body would be broken. Within three decades. And he knew that. Whatever health condition you are most scared of and feels like a struggle and you're sentenced in a body that's bound for destruction. Jesus is like, I feel that. He was mocked and rejected and abandoned. And even by his father on the cross. He was a son of suffering. These aren't just songs we sing. These are truths about him. The author to the Hebrews is saying, man, if we're going to stay the course in the midst of our most difficult seasons of struggle. We need to be reintroduced to the perfect high priest who gets it. He enters in and says I feel that. You can never in your moment of struggle ever again say no one gets it. To say I'm alone and I'm the only one is a lie. The enemy would love for you to believe that. There is a perfect high priest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Look at this. But we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize, (coughs) sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Oh, he's the perfectest high priest. possible to walk through the most painful seasons of struggle and hardship and not be broken and not be derailed by it I love this he's a perfect high priest because his heart breaks with you but he made a way for that struggle not to break you it doesn't have to He didn't just experience every hardship. He overcame every single one. And continued to walk towards his father and towards his mission. He's not just a perfect high priest because he sits with me and he feels with me. But he paves the path and reveals to me, Kondo. this doesn't get to have the last say. Satan doesn't get to have the last say. This health issue doesn't get to have the last say. I got up from the grave. I'm just telling you. He's the perfect champion. He overcame every struggle. Every pain. Every temptation. He's the one in your corner. So don't be fooled by the scars that I've got. I'm still the king of kings. Lord of lords. The thorn can wound me. But it doesn't get to derail me. Because of my high priest. Alright. Hebrews chapter five, uh, 4. 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest. Who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are. And yet he did not sin. It's not just a priest. He's a victorious priest. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. With confidence. So that. We might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love that. I love rereading a passage like that. He's the perfect high priest. He feels what you feel. And yet in the midst of it, it never got to overcome him and derail him from the things God called him to keep moving towards even though his life was not one of ease temptation didn't get to win in his life and he says i'm your champion i'm your priest i'm in your corner and if that's true then come on in your season of suffering come on come to me with confidence And there is grace beyond anything you can imagine. And there is mercy beyond anything you can imagine. You are going to be met with mercy and you're going to be met with a grace to give you what you need to keep walking after God. It's one of the reasons I think the enemy during our seasons of hardship wants us to start questioning instead of running towards the throne. Wants us to start moving away from, instead of moving towards the only one who says, I feel it, and I defeated it, and I'm the champion over it. And this should make you more confident to come to me than any other place on the planet. He is the perfect high priest. Father, I pray for us. And I thank you for Jesus, even now. Jesus, I thank you for, for who you, what kind of God would be willing to come down and put on flesh and suffer in every way in it to identify with your people. Thank you for being that kind of priest. But thank you for being a powerful priest. Who did not succumb, who did not cave, who rose victorious from the grave. Thank you for being the priest who gives us what we need to be champions, even in our hardship, and continue to walk after you. So I pray for mercy, I pray for grace for anyone in this space who might need it right now. I pray, Lord, for your church that we would be stirred by your spirit to run to you in our seasons of hardship to meet the only one who can truly say i feel that and the only one who can give us the grace and mercy we need to keep moving forward it's in jesus name we pray amen